So what would you say were the benefits of being a Christian? If someone said to you, well, what's the, what's the point? Why bother being a Christian? What are the benefits? How, how, would, you, how would you try and convince them? Would you, would you say, well, you'll have a fantastic set of new friends? Or, uh, or you say, you'll feel in a state of permanent, tranquil bliss. Uh, there'll be one perfect moment in life after another. Uh, the Lord will ensure every traffic light is green. Every parking space is available. Every career move is successful. Oh, is that what the normal Christian life is? Because Romans 5 to 11 is really describing the normal Christian life, the benefits of following Jesus Christ, and they are beyond comparison. It's vital we, we understand these verses, but because if we don't understand them, we might become despondent in following the Lord Jesus, have wrong expectations. But if we do understand them, I hope we'll see that our, our expectations of the benefits of knowing Jesus are actually far, far smaller than the glorious reality that is ours in Christ. Uh, what Paul is doing in Rome is explain the, the good news, as we've heard this morning, of Jesus. And the beginning of chapter 5 is a, a little bit of a turning point. He, he's been talking about what God has done through Jesus to change our relationship with him. He, he told us in chapter 1, verses 18 through to 320, that we are all guilty. Every human being who has ever lived is guilty before God because we have ignored his rule and lived life for ourselves. We are inherently selfish. The Bible calls that sinful. So if we stood before God in judgment, we'd have nothing to say. We'd be silent. But then gloriously he told us how at the cross, at the end of chapter 3, at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ bore the righteous anger of God, the punishment that is ours. And so we are now justified. We are declared right with God. It's a legal term from the law court to be declared innocent, even though we're guilty, because Jesus died on the cross for us. And then last week we saw that that amazing relationship with God comes to us not because of anything we do or have done or can do. It comes to us through simple, empty-handed faith, through trusting that what God said is true, that when Jesus died, he did die for you. He, he did die for me. And in chapter 5, Paul takes those glorious truths and he applies them to us and says, therefore, this is true of you. Have a look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Four benefits of being a Christian this morning. Four things that are true of every Christian. Here's the first thing. We have peace with God. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Now, that's, that's not a subjective feeling of peace. You know, the sort of Kung Fu Panda 2 inner peace. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've missed a great film. Go back and watch it. It's not that inner peace of the mountaintop experience. No, this is an objective reality of peace with God, a relationship of hostility now restored to a relationship of peace. The fact that we were rebels against the king of the universe, but now we are his friends, and that has all been done by him. You see, the problem of all humanity is that rebellion against our creator. That, that's what was spelt out in chapters 1 to 3. 
Uh, we see how we're described again in, in verse 10 of our reading. Do you see at the beginning of verse 10? For if while we were God's enemies. That, that's the status by nature between God and all people. We live lives as those who reject his rule. But, but now, because of what Christ has done, there is peace. A, a relationship restored. A rebellion ended. A punishment paid for at the cross. So that God now doesn't treat us as those who are rebels against him, but he treats us like his precious son, the Lord Jesus. He treats us as children. And with that, that new status comes a huge privilege. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's not some cold hostility that exists between us and God, a, a legal status between a, a distant judge and, and some criminal. No, it's a warm relationship. It's access into the very presence of a God who, who is our Father in heaven. We who are rebels now are ushered in as children because of the work of his Son. We enjoy God's favor. That's, that's what that word grace means. You might have heard that little an acronym. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's undeserved loving kindness to us. And that permanent privilege of being able to come to God, our Father, comes solely through Christ. Nothing can change that. Do you see how Paul describes our relationship to grace? We stand in grace. Uh, the word he used means established. We are rooted in grace. Uh, the, the Duchess of Sussex is pregnant, isn't she? Meghan Markle. Um, I don't know. what Is she Meghan Windsor now? Is that what you call her? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have to ask her. Now, now before Meghan married Prince Harry, she was pretty famous because of suits. But, but she wasn't royalty, was she? She didn't have the permanent free pass access into Buckingham Palace. She didn't go on sleepovers with the Queen in her special royal train. She didn't actually have that access into the heart of the royal family. But, but now she does. But to get that, Meghan Markle had to woo Prince Harry. You know, presumably, she, she was quite nice. She, she chatted him up a bit. She, he chatted her up a bit. There was a sort of wooing of the relationship. In one way, Meghan has earned her access into the royal family. But, but the child within her, they've done nothing at all. They're just going to be born a royal baby. They're going to be carried in to see granny or great-granny. They're going to be royalty through nothing they've done. They can't earn it, and actually they can never lose it. And that's what we have. You see, in one way, Christ has wooed God for us. He has dealt with the broken relationship between us and God. It's in Christ we now have our Father in heaven. We have done nothing. We're merely bound into the Lord Jesus. And that means our relationship with God won't change. It can't change. If you're a Christian, you are permanently concreted into grace. You're stuck fast in the secure, undeserved favor of God. Nothing can take you from his presence. No one can deny you access. 
God embraces us in his grace, and he doesn't let go. He loves us day in, day out. He gives us all he has to give, and he does it all because of Jesus. You see, we can't change our status with God unless we can uproot the cross from history, unless we can change the Son of God's status with his Father. You see, as long as our sin is nailed in the cross, in Jesus then we stand in God's grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access into the very throne room of heaven to a Father who loves us dearly. And that gives us a certain future. Here's the second benefit. We have hope in suffering. Did you see that in verse 2 again? And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, you've got to understand what hope is in the Bible. So, so hope, our kids are going to a party. I know it's a Sunday, but they're going to a party today at lunchtime out on a farm. This morning, when the weather was officially minging, that's a technical meteorological term, we looked out the window, we hoped it would stop raining before the party, okay? Or we hope that, if you're a Chelsea fan, you know, we hope that Chelsea will keep doing well, maybe they'll win the title. It's something in the future we'd like to happen. But hope in the Bible is something that God has said will happen in the future. Therefore, it is certain. And what a future is contained in these four words, the hope of glory. You see, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we heard that we'd fallen short of the glory of God. But but now we hear that because of what Jesus has done, we're going to be those who enjoy this glory. And what is that? Well, it's it's everything we fall short of now. It's to be perfect in God's image, in the way that we originally created. It's to dwell with him forever in a world restored to the paradise he created. It's to have a, a perfect relationship of love, not just with God, but with every single human being who is alive. It's to know every sickness healed, every sadness ended, every tear wiped from your eyes by the gentle love of God himself. It is to know only joy and truth and love and to know that life forever. That is a hope that you can rejoice in. I got this uh, this envelope through the door uh, a little while ago. It says on the outside, imagine peace of mind that lasts forever. And you think, yeah, yeah, peace of mind that lasts forever, that'd be great, yeah. It's it's actually for Sun Life Insurance. And uh, what it offers is a fixed cash sum on your death. It it also offers £300 towards your funeral expenses. Uh, The crazy thing about this policy, just in case you're thinking of getting it, is that it, it, it pays out after two years... But once two years have gone, because it's a fixed monthly payment and a fixed sum on death, you want to die then. Yeah, because that's when you get the most benefit. By the time you've lived about 15 years, you're paying more into the sum than you'll ever get out of it. That's free life insurance advice this morning from me. But here's the point. Here's the point. Okay? That's not peace of mind forever. What do I get to do? If I take this out, what do I get? What do I get? Death. That's all I get. I get to die. And Boo gets about 15 grand. 
And the 300 quid towards my funeral expenses. Can I tell you the one person at my funeral who will not care what's happening? Me. I won't, get, I won't care. I'm going to be with Jesus in glory. I won't care at all. You can sing what you want. You can do what you want at my funeral. You can have a great party. Yeah? This isn't peace of mind that lasts forever, but that's all our world can offer, isn't it? A bit of, a bit of cash for your loved one when you go. But there is a hope that brings peace of mind forever. Peace of mind in the toughest of circumstances. But because the the word rejoice here, actually the word boast, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That that word boast, it doesn't mean we have sort of a proud or cheesy grin of of permanent happiness. It's not sort of skipping through life as though there's there's not a problem in the world. No, no, it's to boast in what God has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a word that has a sense of a a deep-seated confidence, an unshakable positive foundation, and we need that. Because the hope of glory is not not one we have in in a sort of a worldly paradise now. Look at life described in verse 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. But Paul expects Christians to experience suffering. Uh, We we live in a world rotted up by sin, don't we? We've we've seen we live in a world actively under God's judgment. You don't need me to tell you the suffering in the world unless you've only been watching the Disney Channel for the last 45 years of your life. You know the suffering in the world... In our church family at the moment, the suffering, the sickness and sadness, that there are relationships that are struggling, that there are people suffering from depression, there are people treated unfairly at work, there are people mourning the loss of loved ones, there are those facing serious illness, even death. Although there's no shortage of tears amongst us, is there? And then there's the suffering not just as a child of God, but for being a child of God. The child of God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced that. He was hated, despised, and rejected. And he doesn't promise us anything different if we follow him. What hope is there for us in the face of suffering? Sun life, win 10,000 pounds cash if you take the policy out. No, no, God says you've got the hope that you'll be with me in glory. You'll you'll be there forever. And as you persevere in that hope, as as you keep patiently trusting in that hope, whatever the world throws at you, that hope proves itself. That's what the word character means there. It's a sort of provedness, a, a certainty. Persevering means that you discover that hope works. Hope is strengthened. Hope's a little bit, a bit like a muscle. It's not strong unless it's, it's used. And that's the case of Christian hope. It's strengthened. It, it gets character as it has to persevere in a world of suffering. So, so listen to this report. It, it, this is a quote from a Christian in Sudan. It's a couple of years old, but there are testimonies around the world like this today. Over 100 Christians were beaten, whipped, tear-gassed, and arrested by police in two connected incidents in Khartoum, Sudan, 
One Christian student whose hand was blown off by a grenade said from his hospital bed, I have lost part of my body, but my Christ, who is in me, can never be lost. That is character. It's to be tried, to be tested, and found that Christ is trustworthy in the greatest extremes of suffering. And you see, the reason that often future glory is so far from our minds is, is actually we believe the lie that we can banish our suffering. That, that's the lie our culture tells us. That either through medication or meditation or mediation or something else, you'll be able to banish suffering from your life. We generally believe that, don't we? We're, we're sort of surprised when things are painful or hard. But it's a lie. It leaves people without hope. How do we know it leaves people without hope? Because when the suffering gets too much, the world says the best thing you can do, the only alternative is to take your own life. But we have the hope of glory. It is certain. And as we suffer, it becomes more certain because it is proved. Actually, sometimes this is why it's harder to be a Christian in Surbiton than Sudan. Well, because the Christian in Surbiton is danger of believing that the world really works that actually we can be quite comfortable. The Christian in Sudan has had that all stripped away. It's why if you talk to a a Christian from southern Sudan, you'll find this rock-solid hope of glory because they're looking forward with certainty to to being with the Lord Jesus in that perfect new world because that's all they've got to enjoy. Whereas whereas so often we have a, a little bit of a grudging resentment with God when anything goes wrong in our lives. But don't you want that joyful confidence for your future? That's what we've got in Christ. That whatever your present suffering, what does the Bible say? What does Paul say elsewhere? It's just for a little while. And it's nothing compared to the glories to come. And that joyful confidence is rooted in one place. Here's the third benefit. We have confidence because of God's love. How how do you know that future is yours? Well, look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God ain't going to let you down. Hope is not going to fail you. How do you know that God's not going to prove false? Because he's not shortchanged you with his love. When you became a Christian, he poured his love into your heart. It overflows. That's experience, isn't it? That, that when we first come to Christ, suddenly we understand just a little bit of how much God loves us. But we need it poured in. We need it poured in because, well, there are times in the world of suffering when, when we have to draw deep from the wells of his love just to keep going. There are times when we fear that that, that love will run out has run out. And you might be thinking this morning, will you tell me the Spirit's in me, Daph? I've been following Jesus for 30 years, but I just don't feel loved. Oh, there have been times when I've, I've felt it, I've felt overwhelmed by God's care for me, but other times it just feels dry, it feels boring, it feels nothing. But, but knowing that God loves you, wonderfully, knowing that God loves you, it's not about the ups and downs of our emotions. It's about looking to one place. It's about having your eyes fixed 
on one unshakable reality, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The Spirit fixes your eyes so you see God intervened in history in his perfect timing to send his son to die, to die for us. It's not that we were very lovable. In fact, the cross, we're told here, without it, we were helpless. Did you see the way that we're described without the cross? Verse 6, we're powerless, we're ungodly. In verse 8, we're sinners. In verse 10, we're God's enemies. That's people without the cross of Christ. You need to know that because unless you can acknowledge how unlovable you are, then we will truly never appreciate how loved we have been. See, this is the, the outrage of God's rescue mission in the Lord Jesus. He came to rescue people who are unlovable who rejected him. People who weren't even interested in his love. That's that's why God's love is so different from ours. I mean, we can imagine acts of of heroism, can't we? That's what Paul talks about in in verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And and there are acts of sacrifice for for people that we love, can't we? I don't know if you're about you, like me, in my dreams... I am always Jason Bourne in my dreams, rescuing my wife, Boo, laying down my life for her in my dreams, or my children. We can, we can be moved and impressed, can't we, by those who die for someone they love or respect. There's a simple epitaph over one, the grave of one soldier who died in the American Civil War in the 19th century. It simply reads, I want to stand where you're standing. Apparently, this lad had been part of a a Yankee, a a firing squad, who were there to execute a group of Confederate soldiers. But as the boy stared down the barrel of his gun at at the the men who were going to die, he recognized one of them. He he was someone he'd known as a boy. That, That was one of the things about the American Civil War. It carved its way through some communities. And he recognized this man. He he knew his family. He was a good man. He, He knew his wife, his children. He liked, he respected him. So the young man lowered his gun and and called for the officer in charge of the firing squad. And there was this earnest conversation, this argument. And then he simply walked up to the Confederate soldier, the officer from the firing squad looking, looking forlorn. The boy walked up to the Confederate soldier and said to him, I want to stand where you're standing. And the officer ordered the Confederate to be released. The young lad stood amongst the Yankees. The guns were raised, and he was shot. I want to stand where you're standing. Oh, we, we can understand that, can't we? Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, but for a good person, someone might dare to die. That, that moves us. But, but that's not what the Lord Jesus has done. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is is totally different. God's love comes to sinners and says, I want to stand where you're standing. 
God comes to people who, whose lives declare, I want nothing to do with you, and says, I want to stand where you're standing. To people like you and me who don't ask to be loved by him, and he says, I want to stand where you're standing. People who don't deserve to be loved, who didn't even want to be loved by God, and the Lord Jesus Christ says, I want to stand where you're standing. Christ dies for us. I want to stand in your place as a guilty sinner that you can stand in my place place under the constant favor of God in grace. And nothing's going to change that. Did, did, did you know that? Did you know that, that totally unconditional, that totally unfathomable, unshakable, that unrelenting, that, that sort of ununderstandable Love of God. It's the love that Christians know. It's the love that keeps them going through suffering and sin. Because in suffering we cry, don't we? We, we cry to God, how, how can you love me, God, and let this happen? That, that's our cry when the world around us falls apart. And when we look to the cross, God says, look, I've nailed my love into history. And you have the hope of glory. And when we sin, and, and we fail again, and we, dis, we disgust ourselves with the inability. You need that song, I want to be like Jesus? There's, there's part of me that's singing, thinking, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. And then part of me thinking, oh, Lord, how I want to be like Jesus. We, we disgust ourselves again with our sin. And hope fades because we, we doubt that why would God ever want to spend an eternity with me? Then we look at the cross and God says, no, no, I've demonstrated my love for you. It's not dependent on, on you or, or your performance. It, it never was and it never will be. It was given unconditionally in the first place and it's given unconditionally to sinners like you now. That's what the Spirit does takes the eyes of our heart, moves them from our navels, and fixes them onto the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And confident in God's love, we know our future is secure. Here's the fourth benefit. We are certain we shall be saved. We shall be saved. And you might be thinking, Daph, wait a second, I, I've, I've been a Christian ages. I am saved. I was saved when Jesus died for me in the past. I've been taught that, you know. So what do you mean I shall be saved? Well, have a look at verse 9. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? When, when Paul talks about God's wrath, his righteous anger, he's always looking forward to the day of judgment. I don't mean looking forward as in terms of whoopee, but looking forward in terms of there is a reality to come when God will judge the world through his son Jesus. Paul said this in Romans chapter 2 verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Paul, Paul's been... Very clear that on that day, every person who has lived will be judged according to their deeds, on the, according to the way we've led our lives. Everyone will be there because everyone will be raised 
from the dead to face that judgment. God's perfectly fair. No one will be left out. I can guarantee now, if this is the only time you ever come to Chessington Evangelical Church, I will see you again on one more day. We'll all be there. But but Paul says Christians face that day of judgment with total confidence. Doesn't that sound arrogant? I'm totally confident to face judgment based on my deeds. But the thing is, it's not judgment for Christians based on our deeds. We've seen that in Romans already. We've been given the verdict before our lives have been lived. The verdict justified by Jesus' blood. Declared innocent because Jesus has died on our behalf. And not declared innocent by some distant and cold judge. Did you see that in verse 10 again? If, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Remember? Reconciled, welcome into relationship with this God who used to be our enemy. And do you see the repeated word or phrase in verse 9 and 10? How much more? How much more? You see, if today you, 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 maybe you have a sense of, of wonder at the enormous love of God, that knowing who you are and, and the nature of your sinful heart, he would send his son to die for you so that you could be rescued. If today you, you have just a, a sense of that, how much more on that day when you see the awesome, terrible, righteous anger of God, when you see the totally just, fair judgment of God that, that exposes all of our lives and all of our hearts, how much more on that day will you wonder that you stand righteous, innocent before God because of his love given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ's death on your behalf. And if God has shed the blood of his son for you, how much more will he take you through that judgment? And that's why if you're a Christian here, I hope if you're a Christian here you know, if you died tonight, you'd be utterly certain you'd face God's judgment as an innocent person. But because of Christ and his work, on your behalf. And if you're doubting that today, well, look to the cross, says the Apostle Paul. The blood shed, the Son of God dying for you. If he did that for you, do you think he'll really give up on you or fail to take you home to be with him? He has reconciled you. He has brought you into his family. He has made you his child. He has lavished his, lavished his love on you. He will bring you through thick and thin Do you think he's ever going to give up on you? One writer put it like this. It's as if we're walking along a rope bridge. One end is tethered to the firm foundation of God's love demonstrated at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other is tethered to the certainty of our glory to come in the future. We know that because Christ died for us. He will take us through judgment to be home with him. But, but as we walk through life on this rope bridge, it's often battered by winds and storms. It swings from side to side. And in fact, if you've ever walked on a rope bridge, you make the thing unstable. 
You're walking through life and just your steps are rocking the bridge for you. You don't need any outside circumstances to destabilize your own life. We feel shaky. But in the end, the bridge is totally safe because it's fastened securely, not by your emotions, but by the reality of the cross in the past and the glory to come. So in the present, verse 11, not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He says, let me end by asking you, do you know that? Is your boast today, your security today, your certainty today, in this love of God for you, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know these benefits in your life? If you don't, we'd love you to know them. There'll be some people you could come and pray with at the end of the service. Sitting down here, you could ask them about it. There may be Christian friends you've come with, you could ask them about it. We'd love you to to come and chat to me. I'll, I'll, I'll be standing probably on the door on the way out. Why not come and ask me about it? And for those of us who do know Christ, Do not forget the benefits that you have. Benefits that are beyond anything that we can dream up in this world. You have peace with God. You stand concreted in grace. You have hope, a certain future in the face of whatever suffering you're experiencing. And that suffering in the end will prove that hope to be true. You have confidence that God loves you. Not because of who you are or what you've done or what's going on in your life, but because you can see his son nailed to a cross for an unlovable person like you. And you'll be saved. You'll be saved. When you face God's judgment, you'll be found innocent in Christ. So however rocky the bridge of life is today, you can be certain of your future with him. Let's pray together.